Welcome to Fulbright Forward, a podcast that explores the different ways the lives of people in the Fulbright community intersect with issues of diversity, equity, access, inclusion, and justice. I'm Kelly Swayze, the Diversity and Inclusion Liaison for Fulbright programs in East Asia and the Pacific. In today's episode, I talk story with Fulbright alumna Evie Mariani. Evie was a 2011 Hubert Humphrey Fellow from Indonesia at Philip Merrill College of Journalism at the University of Maryland. Her critical work has been widely recognized, and she is the recipient of several prestigious journalism awards, including a Society of Publishers in Asia Award for Excellence in Public Journalism, the Tasrif Award, the Indonesia Print Media Awards Golden Award for Investigative Journalism, and the Influential Media Figure Award from MAW Talk Awards. She was also a reporter and later managing editor at the Jakarta Post, one of Indonesia's most respected and long-running English-language daily newspapers. Throughout the course of her career in Indonesia's mainstream media, Evie has pushed to cover the topics that don't often get covered, to amplify the voices of historically marginalized communities, and reflect on how journalism can serve as a force for equity and justice. Inspired by her groundbreaking reporting on the plight of urban poor communities in Jakarta, as well as her experience interning at Street Sense, a Washington, D.C.-based newspaper devoted to exploring the dynamics of homelessness when she was a Hubert Humphrey Fellow, Evie and her colleagues founded Project Multituli in 2021. Project Multituli is a public service journalism initiative dedicated to carrying out the ideals of giving a voice to the voiceless, spotlighting the marginalized, and reporting on the underreported. The organization produces data-based, deeply researched news stories. They collaborate with other news organizations, research bodies, and civil society groups that strive for democracy, human rights, social justice, environmental sustainability, and equal rights for all. Evie shares the story with us of how she came to create Project Multituli and how the collective is using innovative approaches to produce journalism aligned with their mission to serve the underreported and hold power accountable. We discuss the project strategies to disrupt dominant practices in Indonesia's media industry and the challenges of creating a work culture and societal structures that support truly inclusive media production. Welcome to Fulbright Forward. I'm very excited to have you here today to talk about the public service journalism initiative that you co-founded called Project Multatuli. You've had a long career in journalism in Indonesia from your days as a student at Gadjah University, writing for activist student publications, to serving as a reporter and later the managing editor of the Jakarta Post, one of the longest running and well-respected English language newspapers in Indonesia. So can you just tell us a little bit about the journey of your career and how it led you to start Project Multituli? Hi, Kelly. Thank you for uh, inviting me to this uh, podcast. I think maybe I can say that I began when I was still in the university uh, my undergrad degree, I, I finished my undergrad degree in, in Gajah Mada University in Yogyakarta. Um, my major is uh, communication studies in uh, social and political uh, school in the university. At the time, I joined the, the student press there, not exactly as a writer, more like as a layouter and fundraiser and stuff like that. But it was during the New Order era in, in the Suharto regime, uh, the authoritarian regime. And student press at the time played k- kind of like a big role because as an alternative media, because the, the big media outlets 
they're like often getting calls uh, from I identify people, but they all know who uh, who's calling. Usually the the military or the intelligence officer calling the newsrooms, uh, stopping them to to uh, write this and that. So there was no freedom of the press during the yeah, Suharto era. Journalists also went to jail um, a lot in 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 the uh, during that era. So student press played a role as um, somewhat like an, an alternative alternative voice. Yeah. For example, when I uh, I began. T- in the university in 1994, and the first edition I helped uh, publish uh, was about the 1965 uh, communist cleansing, uh, which, like, uh, maybe you know, like, killed at least 500,000 people, or some estimates goes to 2 million people. There was no way the media uh, at that time would... would uh, would dare to uh, to uh, to publish that kind of story. So, so that was probably not exactly my career, but my brush with journalism began with sort of like a clandestine clandestine publication uh, by by social political students. Uh, so, when I graduated uh, from university in early two thousand. I decided that okay, I'll I'll pick journalism as my life choice. Uh, after like looking for a lot of for jobs in a lot of media outlets, uh, the Jakarta Post uh, accepted me as a cop reporter in 2002. So there, I think uh, since then I was like sort of like maybe a homegrown uh, journalist at the Post. <laughs> From 2002, and then I left the post only for 11 months for the conversation uh, Indonesia to to launch the conversation Indonesia, and then I went back in 2018 as a managing editor, and then I left the post again in January 2021 because they uh, make a drastic policy of cutting the workforce by 70 percent. And then sort of like I don't share their vision about the future of journalism. So I uh, founded Project Mutatuli with three other friends, all of them journalists. Before I resigned from the post, at the end of 2020, I already, we were already in talks yeah, with, with the, the, the journalists that later founded Project Mutatuli. We were already in talks and a lot of discussions about okay let's let's do let's do something different let's uh let's uh, make something uh, let's make a media outlet that really stay true to the public because we saw that there is um a common practice in 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 Indonesian media industry is to find money from the politically wired tycoons or so-called oligarchs or or um, fully kowtowing to the market forces, as in uh, algorithm and uh, clicks, 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 that leads to the phenomenon called dumping down the news. So there are the two dominant business models that we see that it somehow 
um, serves not the public but more the elites. And then they're more Jakarta-centric because that's where all the money is. And it's more elite, serving the elite more. And also male-centric, yeah? So we want to challenge that. We want to disrupt that, that, that practice. So we think that, okay, uh, maybe the post is not my place anymore. But if I want to do something uh, in journalism, I want, I want make a competitor to the Jakarta Post, but I will make something entirely different. So we decided that, okay, let's make a niche media, a niche in a way that, uh, because we are still a national, national media, we call ourselves national media, not, not local media, and we're bilingual, so we also serve uh, readers from, from outside Indonesia, but niche in a way that we, uh, we make sure that our articles uh, address the information equality that we see uh, is happening in Indonesia. Uh, as, as I say before, the dominant practice is male-centric, Jakarta-centric, and elite-serving. So there are lots and lots of communities in Indonesia that never been uh, reported in the media. Or even though they are reported, like the LGBT communities, for example, they are misunderstood and even persecuted, I think. So, so what we want to do is to disrupt that practice. And we serve the underreported, and we hold power accountable. Like We, we are really serious about that because uh, also the dominant business model is asking money from the oligarchs. Of course, they are not really serious about holding power accountable. So that's what we've seen so far. So that's how I came from... From, from a bumbling student journalist to, uh, to this now. I'm now an executive, the executive director of, of Project Mutatun. It's interesting that you are comparing, you know, the time when you started as a student when things were still under the authoritarian rule and censorship was very direct. And you're now saying that it's not so much direct censorship, but the market and sort of the elite forces which control what we hear about and see in the media. And of course, we're seeing this happen all over the world, right? So I wanted to ask for our listeners who aren't familiar with the uh, name Multatuli about how you came to choose this name for your journalism collective. So Project Multatuli takes its name from the pen name of Eduard Duas Decker, who wrote the novel Max Havilar. It's a novel that was published in 1860 that holds an important place in the canon of colonial literature of Southeast Asia, as it depicts the suffering that local populations endured during the colonial period in the Dutch East Indies, what we today know as Indonesia. So what was the motivation for taking this name for your project? <laughs> okay, that's, well, the story of the name, it's, it's apparently it's not easy to, to name something. Oh my God, there was like uh, months and months of debates between us, like the founders, also the, the, the first volunteers, yeah? We, uh, we have a lot of young, young journalists as, as our volunteers. So, so we were trying to get names and we look around, uh, and then we also got inspired a lot by U.S. Uh, U.S. media outlets. Uh, one one of our biggest inspiration is actually ProPublica, uh, Texas Tribune as well as a um, model, uh, the business model. But of course, one name came across when we searched for name is Marshall Project, and okay. Last name, name it like Marshall Project. Pick, pick a name. 
pick a name of, of, of someone. So we were thinking, okay, let's uh, find a name of a, a woman journalist in Indonesia. But we couldn't find any that is quite appealing to us. There was one, but and then we said, mm, maybe not, not really. So that's why we pick a male, <laughs> a white male. <laughs> Just literally as, as the name. It's because he's, um, I think he's, he's somehow, uh, bes- besides, he receives a lot of criticism, actually. And we've, we are fully aware that he is white and he is male. Yeah? <laughs> but he's, uh, he's a privileged person writing about injustice in Indonesia during the colonial times. And Pramudia Anantaturli, he's a... He's, one of the globally renowned Indonesian author made a review about his book on, on New York Times, and he called the book the book that killed colonialism. That appeals a lot to us because, yeah, that's that's the spirit we want to we want to uh, that that inspire the spirit that inspires us, serving the underreported, writing about injustice, and he's very passionate about that. <laughs> So we were like thinking, okay, okay. And then out of like, we, we ran out of other options. Uh, we were already like, so to say, at our ends with. So it's just like, okay, I think this is the best. Do anyone who's, who's, uh, who objects to this name, uh, do you have uh, better options? At that time, none of them have better options. So yes, we, uh, we, we use Project Multatuli. It's a mouthful name, kind of long. And also, we and afterwards, we receive uh, criticisms. Why you choose Multatuli? He's, he's kind of controversial and so on. But And then we think that, yes, he is controversial, but still his book opened up, uh, opened up uh, a lot of Dutch people's uh, eyes about what was happening in, in the Dutch Indies at that time. And also we see that that the injustice, inflict, the injustice inflicted by colonialism is still happening now. So his his spirit, multi spirit, in writing and holding power accountable, writing about what happened uh, before his eyes is still something I think uh, relevant today. And it's a name I think that that represents in some way what you are are trying to do in the sense that you are a bilingual publication and project, um, and Multituli is something that's recognized both in Indonesia as 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 this important piece of literature and discussion about the power and colonialism, and also recognized in places outside of Indonesia because he wasn't from Indonesia originally; he was Dutch. So it's interesting in that way too that it sort of aligns with with what you are yeah. doing and what you're yeah. representing in yeah. your project. Yeah, thank you for pointing that out because. I think yes, we also because because some of us were from the Jakarta Post, so we we kind of like want to have this global connection, you know. So yeah, we we choose English name, even though we we say that we serve the underreported that that probably don't don't understand English maybe, but yes, it's a bit contradictory, but. But I think it's okay. I think it's okay. I'm kind of like open to like maybe change the name to Project Marcina, if you know Marcina, a labor activist who died during the new order because she uh, she fought for for the rights of, of workers. 
So project M or, or later, maybe we, we can change it. It's, uh, we, we are not very religious about that name, although we recognize his, his virtues, his, his, that as an inspiration, his, uh, his uh, multatuli is still, we, we, we respect that. When you were talking earlier about how journalism has changed to some degree in Indonesia since when you started as a student, um, journalism student at Gadjamada, um, I was just wondering if in your time at the Jakarta Post, were there any barriers that you encountered covering issues of historically marginalized people and communities um, that really stood out to you or any particular stories that you felt or remember that mainstream media could have approached better? I know you mentioned earlier things covering the LGBTQ plus community in Indonesia, um, but if there's anything that, that really sort of stood out to you during the course of your time at the Jakarta Post that made you think, we need to do something different in journalism or provide an alternative outlet to cover these stories, either stories that aren't covered or to cover stories in a different kind of way. Mm. Uh, yes. So, so the post uh, has this strong, strong standpoint about human rights, about plural, pluralism, diversity, uh, minority rights. So the post is one of the one of the best media outlets in Indonesia that talks about, for example, uh, gender equality, LGBT rights, uh, religious minority rights. Uh, we're we're until up until now. I think the post is still one of the leading media outlets in Indonesia that speaks about those those issues. But when it comes to rural issues. Uh, issues outside Jakarta in remote areas and poor people, even in Jakarta. There, a lot of editors, a lot of my bosses uh, were a little <laughs> not very warm to the idea, like workers' rights. Uh, workers, when they protest on the street, uh, it's not in our DNA to like pay attention to uh to uh labor rights and most of our readers like to read the business the business uh, pages and the business pages is more like leaning to corporate uh macroeconomics and stories about like people's economy like small and micro scale uh businesses are also not in the the post dna <laughs> And I think not just the post, uh, some other media also kind of have this, what I call earlier as serving the elite more. So that's, I think, the problem, not only uh, the post, but also because if you talk about like workers' rights, sometimes media owners will say, oh, it will scare away advertisers. If you talk too much about and the owners of media outlets, they are the employers who sometimes are get get the, at the end of the protest by the labor, for example. Personally, for myself, from 2015 to 2017, that leads to my resignation for 11 months from the post was it was a personal fight for me is for the forced evictions uh, uh, issue, although, yes. I managed to publish a lot of stories that, that as much as we could do, reduce the middle class and upper class bias against those 
poor urban poor people who got forceful evictions from uh, the city administration. But it was personal battle that affected my career a lot, actually. The period when my, uh, my integrity as a journalist, what I believe in as a journalist, is being questioned and eventually by myself. Like I was second-guessing second myself a lot. So I read again this Bill Kovac and Tom Bresson Steele book to like to really what am I doing wrong? Because because they told me you uh, you are not a journalist. You're more like an activist or whatever. But and then I questioned them. I'm a homegrown journalist. I grew up at the Post. You defend gender equality. No one called them an activist. You defend human rights in Papua. You defend human rights in East Timor. At that time, East Timor, now Timor-Leste, in Aceh. You fight about the rights LGBT communities, religious uh, minorities as well. No one called these journalists activists. But when I uh, try to like amplify the voice of the urban poor, poor people, why, why do you call me an activist? So that that was a really like a struggle that's uh, I'm I'm kind of like still, you know, you can people can ask me ten times about this. I'm still really emotional about this. It was the time when Fulbright Aminef celebrated uh, the year's anniversary, I think. But they contacted the journalists. Her name is Margaret Cohen, and I was picked as one of the one of uh, sort of like Fulbright alumni that was profiled in in their book. I I met Margaret Cohen at the time of when I was like kind of second guessing myself. I was a little bit defensive and sometimes kind of like apologetic why I visited this uh, this uh, urban kampung, for example, why I I uh, interview a lot of urban poor. So that that was that was really hard for me. Uh, so when when we found Project Mutatuli. My friend said, okay, we served the underreported. I was like, kind of like, okay, okay, that's good. <laughs> it, it didn't come from me exactly because I was second-guessing myself a lot. Yeah. So it actually came from the, the other journalists. Let's serve the underreported, including urban poor. Okay, that's that's more like, uh, I think, a lot of more of my, my cup of tea. <laughs> Kind of, sort of, when I st- when we started Project Multatule and we are really serious about serving the underreported, I kind of feel personally very liberated, actually, as a journalist. Uh, and I stopped second-guessing myself now. It is journalism. <laughs> I feel that the strategy of calling people an activist rather than a journalist is also a strategy of silencing sometimes in this context. If you, if you are standing up for certain things, if you're, if you are trying to cover stories that perhaps, um, you know, disturb the status quo or the elite, then calling you an activist says, oh, well, you're not really serious about being objective in journalism. Um, and I think that many of us are having about, you know, what does it mean really to do any kind of documentation of people's stories in a way that we are paying attention to structural injustice can we be, as you've asked in your writing, sitting at a comfortable distance and still being relevant as people who either document through film or through research, um, through different kinds of media? 
is that even possible today? Or do we have to take another approach? And I think that this is something that a lot of us who have gone through the Fulbright program, who are who are people who are interested in 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 kind of like thinking about the way that humans interact and covering the stories of the world, really grapple with. You know, what is our role as researchers, as document yeah. um, people yeah. who are doing documenting and things yeah. like that? So, do you have any like sort of advice, I guess, in a way, or or what is the approach that Project Multatuli has taken that 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 is maybe enabling to to answer some of these questions or to address this kind of ethical questions that we have about what we're doing when we're we're covering the stories of other people it's exactly kelly what you said is 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 right later i learned that a lot of journalists globally who writes a lot about women issues about sexual abuse or domestic uh, abuse victims are also called activists by the men, usually, the men who don't like these people to write uh, in a different perspective. And also you write about what they call objective is actually very politically, like politically laden in the, uh, in the hands of the powerful. So when few journalists try to, yes, uh, uh, disrupting the status quo, challenge the status quo, they try to, like, you're not objective enough, you're, you're not a journalist, you're an activist. Yes, later I learned about that. I think it's, it's not, it's, it is no longer uh, object, the, the meaning of objective, the meaning of balance, it's not something that we should just accept from the powerful. Yeah. So far, uh, what, what I use is the, what is the definition of objective is unwittingly. I think I use their, <laughs> the definition of the powerful people who like to, uh, to maintain the status quo. So we have to be brave enough, I think to challenge those uh, uh, misconceptions about what is objective. Because here, you, you know that uh, people also now question both sidism and stuff like that, right? What is called fair and all. Our articles, our writings, our journalism uh, products do not, they, they are not in a vacuum, right? They are not in a, in a fair world. They don't, we don't deliver them to, into a world that is uh, fair, it is an unfair world for a lot of people. Like in, in the United States, I think most media outlets is unfair to uh, people, people of color, right? So you cannot really say you have to be objective by both sidism only because it assumes that you have a level playing field. So you have to publish journalism that is fair still, comprehensive in, in information, not only like interviewing only, only if you can call it, your one side, two side, three sides, whatever, but you have to be actively addressing the inequality, have to be aware that when you write something, when you do a reportage, that you write it in a situation that is not fair. So you have to make sure your work tips the balance a little bit, so it uh, it makes uh, it level. The, the, it makes the level playing field uh, the, the playing field more level than before. 
So if you're like very religious about objectivism, both sidedism, your journalistic piece will will not change anything. And I'm not like there's my my one of my seniors told us cup reporters when when uh, I heard about this 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 sort of like an, an analogy or something. Oh, be proud of being a journalist because you can witness, uh, you can be in the at the front seat of history in the making. But and then I was thinking that when the history unfolding before your eyes is not just, it's not fair, and you know you have the power to do something about that. Are you going to sit still in that front seat? Or are you going to make also making history? So it it rings true in women's movement, I think. I was involved in a collaborative uh, journalism work with maybe a dozen other journalists from from four media. I was still at at the Jakarta Post to reveal the hidden crimes of sexual abuse in universities. And we very aware and we boldly boldly take the step to like, we uh, use the victim's perspective. And of course, a lot of men saying that oh, you're not fair you should interview the uh, the mm-hmm. you should uh, give the the suspects also like as uh, a space pro- proportionally <laughs> to the to the, to also the the victims i said no no i'm i'm kind of like bolder about this <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> to gender equality uh i said no uh because it's it's already the world is it's very not fair to the victims so if we produce something that is making those men and, and the suspects happy, then we, we don't change anything. We don't reduce uh, sexual abuse. And why not? Why not journalists, not just sitting in a front seat, but also we actively involve? Why not? Yeah, these claims of objectivity, as you say, that don't recognize the inequality and inequity of, of, of societies, it's a way of sort of hiding behind and saying, oh, no, we have to see sort of both sides and balance it out without recognizing the privileged position in which many of these journalists come from. Um, and so your point is very well made that, you know, sometimes this idea of telling the both sides of the story doesn't really recognize the context in which these things unfold, these unequal playing fields. One of the the interesting conversations that we've been having at Fulbright in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion is kind of talking also about the need for better representation in many ways. And, and representation in media has been something that we've discussed on many of the episodes of this podcast. One of the things that I think has been really clear to me in working in Indonesia these last years is that the need for better representation in the media really has to be grounded in more inclusive and equitable media production, you know, that that it can't just be um, a certain small group of elite people who are telling the stories. We have to make, you know, the platforms more available so people can actually tell their own stories and tell things from their perspective. Um, so I was just curious about the way in which Project Multatuli provides space for journalists and media creators that don't normally have access to write and represent their perspectives through the mainstream media outlets. Um, you yourself being a homegrown journalist, probably, you know, this you are also representing someone who is telling a story from a different perspective than we hear from, you know, your sort of typical uh, commentator in the Indonesian media market. 
Yeah, it's um, we do affirmative action for a newsroom, and what we found after we uh, we we try to to uh, to also have a good representation of diversity and inclusion in our in our newsroom is affirmative action is not something easy. You, it's not something like uh, as easy as oh, of course we are open. We 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 champion inclusivity and we welcome anyone. No, it's not that easy. You have to do a lot to eventually achieve a really inclusive uh, newsroom, a really diverse newsroom. Uh, there are like dozens of steps before we can reach that. Uh, so I'm not saying that our newsroom is still is is already uh, as diverse as we want, even though we have a diversity of of uh, gender wise and then religion wise is a queer team manager, not not a journalist, but he's a team manager. But he's very active in 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 like I'm sure if we if we make something wrong, we, he will remind us. We try to uh, also make extra mile like efforts to find women journalists, but we still, I think, kind of like very far behind in terms of those from the underprivileged, economically underprivileged, uh, and then from rural areas. But yes, I believe that. Uh, if you talk about diversity, inclusion, yes, you cannot just say, okay, oh, we interview a lot of uh, <laughs> diverse of, of communities. No, we, we ourselves have to be diverse uh, because that's where true discussion, true, uh, true editorial deliberation can, can, can happen, right, in the newsroom itself. So, yeah, uh, we are still trying to have more representation of uh, under economically underprivileged writers, if not full-time staff, then at least uh, those who can like uh, contribute to us for uh, writing opinions or essays. So yes, we're still trying. Yeah, I mean, that is the challenge of when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's not just having diverse people around, not just a representation, but actually a participation and one that they are free and open and, and feel empowered to um, be part of. And that, I think, is the challenge sometimes when trying to make our organizations, quote unquote, more diverse and inclusive. It's not just a surface thing. You know, it does take work and and us being committed to having those difficult conversations and having people with different opinions um, alongside of us to do the work. And that's, I think, you know, it's a challenge for our, all organizations now that are that are trying to do better at this. It Fulbright included in that. So that's part of the reason that we have this podcast and are trying to have these conversations to think about the ways that Fulbrighters in our program are advancing this kind of work and also how we as a program can do it better. I think you're right about having difficult conversations. It includes admitting to our mistakes, admitting that, that, that like coming from a, a very privileged uh, position, we found that the relation between us in Jakarta, uh, the editors, with writers outside Jakarta, for example, it's also we have to change the game. We change. We have to change the rules of uh, of 
how we uh, have a, a work relation with with, with the, the the regional contributors. So we are thinking that okay, maybe I think in we have to like increase collaborations with local media, give them the resources they need, and let them decide what to write from which angle. So that's one way uh, we're trying to do this year. And yes, it's 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 not easy. It's not something that uh, I think will be successful first time we try. No, but we have to take the first step. If um, any of our listeners here to the podcast in Indonesia are interested in writing for Project Multatuli, how do they do that? How do they contact you through the website or if, if people are interested in getting involved somehow? Uh, yeah, they can, they can pitch the idea first to... Redaksi, it's, it's R-E-D-A-K-S-I, redaksi at projectmultatuli.org, uh, and pitch the idea, and then we can talk after that with the editor directly um, about the the idea. So we we want to make more like more bottom up story ideas. Yeah, uh, we we do both now. We do top down as well. Like. Uh, for example, we, we want to uh, have this topic. Uh, do you have any idea what, what's happening in your, in your regions? And pitch to us, we do that. Well, the problem is because a lot of regional contributors, local media, is very used to the dominant practice of Jakarta being all the decision makers and Jakarta is being like the, the man, where the money is, where the readers are, uh, Java. Journalists outside Java also tend to try to tailor their pitch with the old assumption that will Jakarta like it or will Jakarta not like it. So I think both parties have to learn uh, a lot about like you know representation, like meaningful representation. So both not not just us, but also both parties. They they are so used to making Jakarta happy and have assumptions of, of what, what makes Jakarta happy. So we, we have to first change that, uh, hello, we're open to, to anything. We, we, we don't subscribe to those set of rules that, that usually make uh, quote-unquote Jakarta happy. Just go wild with your ideas. But, and then when we, uh, when we tell them that, they're still... What what kind of things they 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 would like to hear from us? So they they still you know it's it's something it's it's not something you can change overnight. Yeah, there is there is a, a process of like you said a difficult conversation between us as well, like uh, unpacking those uh, assumptions about about what is okay and what is not. Unlearning, unlearning, unlearning the old practices, and that—that that I think applies both ways. Yeah, and it's wonderful to hear that there are initiatives like Project Matsutuli out there that are creating the space for that to happen. Because I think that those spaces are still few and far between in many of the media environments around the world, um, and particularly in Indonesia, which can be so center dominant or Java dominant. Um, and you know, creating that space to even have those conversations and and to give people in other regions of the country that opportunity is really an important step forward to um, yeah, making a more even playing field for media and people sharing their stories um, from different parts of Indonesia. 
Buevi, thank you so much for sharing with us today about the project and about your journey as a journalist and a Fulbrighter um, to starting this project. I do hope that some of our listeners who are listening here in Indonesia take you up on the offer and uh, submit their pitches for Project Multituli. Thank you, Kelly, for making time to uh, to talk to me and about Project Multituli. Thanks so much for helping Thank us you. promote our cause.